Meanwhile, recorded live the Lava Lamp Lounge. It's somewhere in between a radio zine. News, music, culture, stories, and more. This show is what we make of it, and hopefully you'll join us in the fun, too. Now let's get started. And welcome to a supernatural radio noir. It's issue 53, The Adventures of Marcus Little, part 6, The Conclusion. Of course, it's one thing to actually complete a radio drama, have a recording of it, get the script all nailed down, all that sort of thing. But if nobody hears it, then does it really make a sound? Well, that's neither here nor there, because uh, not only was this in the film that my friend Matt made, uh, Phylum Sepinicula, which hopefully uh, you've found some information about online, but... In addition to that, it actually aired on a number of radio stations all over the country. And that was kind of an amazing experience to uh, have this idea in my head uh, go from that to hearing it on a radio station in New York or in Spokane or in split Croatia, for that matter. Like it, It really got around in a way that was phenomenal and exciting to me. And, uh, well, I think... uh, It's high time that it made it to the airwaves here on KMUZ. But you've probably tuned in to hear the final installment, so why don't I switch gears here, get back into character, and let's conclude things between Dexter Rowland, Randy Stone, Marcus Little, and our cast of characters. I think uh, I know how this goes now. Randy had already been through a range of emotions ever since he arrived at my office, and it was interesting to see him go through this change, as if he was putting on some sort of act, or maybe he was actually discovering himself, slowly, through the evening, as this story unfolded in front of him. Regardless, he almost seemed to be a little bit giddy when I revealed to him where Hap's diner is, quote-unquote. At least, he'll think it is for a while, anyway. And that should get him out of my hair, and certainly away from anybody that I care about for the time being. But it still didn't make any sense. It seems like he could get this information other ways. And yet, here he was we barely knew each other. I felt like I needed to string him along just a little bit further in order to get the rest of his story. After mulling things over for a while, Randy finally said, Okay, Dex, you've been pretty straight with me so far, and I've been a bit of a jerk. I do apologize. Sometimes deadlines will make people go a little crazy, if you know what I mean. I was pretty sure that it wasn't a deadline he was up against. Nonetheless, it seemed pretty harmless in letting him continue at this rate. I let him call the shots. The more in charge he felt, the better I could angle him into position, if need be. 
I think I've heard most of the story, but I'd like to hear it from you. Where did all this go down? How did it happen? How did it end? How did we get here? Good question. Here's the score. Not in words with me. That music must mean that Act 3 of The Adventures of Marcus Little is about to begin. Nate Kelly deftly brings you the stunning conclusion of tonight's story, Tall Tales and Small Rewards. After a few glasses of perspective and ice, and a long conversation with Itty about what to do next, it stood to reason that it was time to wrap things up, for everyone's sake. Itty was starting to sound like a warbled cassette tape that had been overplayed, and I was beginning to see right through him in a way that had nothing to do with what he was saying. I decided to hop into the Chevy and drive back out to Mariner State Hospital, not only to face what was there waiting for both of us, but to find some way of helping Itty get his house back without having to share it with some gang. I'm not sure yet, but I'll think of something. Somehow it was still night, and I was beginning to experience some of the disorientation that comes with being dead all the time. Namely, time now feels lifeless and difficult to measure. But at the hospital, we noticed a foreboding second floor light was still on. A surefire sign that our friends were still there, and still up to no good. After a short chat with Itty, I decided to force myself to go inside. We walked in through the front door. A trail of blood, my blood, led me up to the room where the thugs had been before. And as Itty and I limped towards the room slowly, we could hear them chatting again as if there was nothing else in the world that they would prefer to be doing. And we had somehow walked in on their story. I just think it's not a good idea. Are you out of your mind? After everything we've been through, you want to give up right now? Can I give up sooner? Just cool your jets. We're doing just fine, all things considered. Just have faith. Here you go with that nonsense again. It's been over a week. The others aren't coming. We should go. And after what happened tonight, there might be a whole other set of people who want us for different reasons. The jig is up. You let one little incident get you all worked up. You need to go out more. We should go down to that that place you like. What's it called? No. Green Finch? I'm leaving tonight. Before it gets to the point where I can't anymore. You really are naive. You leave now and we're both in trouble. You could say that again. What? How does a haunting fit into your philosophical cosmology? That's it. I'm out of here. But but we killed you. You're, You're dead now. That was supposed to solve the problem. Ghosts aren't real. You can believe whatever you want, bub, but it doesn't mean I don't want to talk to you. But you, you're- Angry? You betcha. But it's more of a general kind of anger when you mess up in a huge way and have to clean up the mess that is clearly your fault. But this time, I think I finally know what happened. Well, you'll never catch me. Barney, wait up! I'm- Well, it was hard to explain to those who were not there. I experienced an incredible sensation when the thug hit the ground outside the hospital. Suddenly, the light that had been on on the second floor began to flicker, and Itty began to glow, stronger than he had before. 
A high-pitched hum began to rise as the room filled with light and heat, and I began to think that perhaps this was my end, too. But then, as I was about to give up, there was a small pop, like a light bulb breaking, and then the show was over. There was a faint afterglow in the shape of Itty that was becoming fainter with every moment. And with that, Itty was gone. The light bulb on the second floor burst, and now, again, the hospital was truly dead. It was sad to see Itty go, especially after everything he'd helped me with. But as he told me before he left, he was really only stuck on our side because those thugs left the lamp on all the time. Once they were gone, he was free to turn the light off, finally, and the hole to his world opened back up. Turning it back on might bring him back, so I decided to keep the lamp in case I needed his help again. But aside from the lamp, there would be little compensation of value for working on this case. I had just fixed myself a glass of something brown when the door to my office opened, and I looked up nervously. I was completely surprised by who I saw come in. Want to linger too long, as it might blow our... I just need a few things, and I'm... Oh! Hi, kid. You... That means... And... (laughs) I'm so sorry. Hey, now. It's okay, Sin. I'm here. You're here. We... Marcus, what happened? Hey, I'm no worse for wear. Just a little, you know. He's dead, Cindy. Like I said, might... Might what, Miss Lund? Though at this point, I seriously doubt anything you said on the phone was actually true. But I had to protect... Protect? I became tomorrow's worm feed, sent out on a series of snipe hunts, each more deadly than the last. And then, after all is said and done, I come to find out that Cindy's mixed up in something I can't help her with. You never needed to help me. Don't be mad, Mark. She knew the right thing to do. By killing me? I had nothing to do with that. I just needed you to get out of the office for the day. I could see what was coming, sort of. I could... Wait. See what was coming. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to... You really can see things in your mind. Ever since I was a little girl, and... What's your real name? Or would I be able to guess it if I knew you were a gumshoe, too? You're better than I thought. Ironically, better now that I'm no longer here. So what is it? Fletcher? Mars? Drew? Matson. We're going to keep this business going. Us. Two. Together. I hope you understand. I do. She tells you that your life is in danger, that she wants to protect you, and she's right. My number was up, and she could tell. No reason losing you, too. Don't worry, Marcus. Cindy's a good PI herself, but I imagine you already knew that. Guilty as charged. What are you going to do now? You know I'm not one for thinking about the long term. Why don't you get to your place so you can catch some Z's before Miss Matson needs you down at the office? As a full partner, you'll have a lot more work on your plate. That's very big of you. Really? After all of that? Goodbye, Marcus Little. Yeah, goodbye. And with that, Cindy left. And with her, another person that proved that perhaps my methods were not as sound as they once were. And that it was time for me to move on, anyway. The dead man you hear before you sat at his own desk and reflected upon the day he died. And from the moment it began, it had not gone anything like he might have predicted it would play out. 
Cindy was careful to grab only her things, and as she packed them into a box, Ms. Matson and I gabbed about the profession and how it had changed over the years. Part of me was angry for not realizing that she and Johnny were actually different people at first. Part of me realized that I didn't have time to get mad about stuff like that anymore. There wasn't anyone left to listen to me complain anyway. But that doesn't mean that we don't keep trying to piece it all together, to make sense of it in some way that will provide meaning to anyone who cares to look at it very closely. Part of me knows that there was never any point to begin with, that the reason I took this job was that I enjoyed the hunt, the search, the attempt to find some meaning in spite of the fact that all clues were actually pointing to the opposite. It was just so much more exciting to think that if we look at it all long enough, we'll be able to see the forest for the trees and not use some horrible cliche to summarize it all when you try to tell people what you've deduced. Still, I had to consider something else that was on my mind. I hadn't gone anywhere. No bright light opened up and swallowed me. No force from beyond set my soul to rest. In fact, I feel more conflicted and confused, knowing it's possible for some to find rest, and it just isn't in the cards for me. While it doesn't seem to affect me in a number of ways, there are certainly drawbacks to still being around and being dead. Perhaps I'll be able to continue working, too. A dead detective is certainly better than one that can't be trusted, right? I leaned back in my chair and watched the moon set as the next day began to set itself for a return engagement to our world. I should be exhausted and sleepy and ready to pass out for days on end, dreaming of a better world. But sleep was the last thing I could even get my mind to focus on. To me, there were new problems to be solved. How to pay rent, how to keep the car gassed up, and if I can even legally work in Century City without a new special license. But those were worries for another day. As the moon set distantly on the horizon, and as a new source of light illuminated the tree line, I wondered if I could just wrap things up here, if somehow this could be an end of my story, that I would no longer be doomed to repeat those events, taking cases, solving them, reflecting on them, that somehow I could lean back in my chair, taking the scenery and close my eyes, and this whole world and everything in it would disappear, and I would get my chance to finally rest. What are the chances that any of us will actually ever get that option, realistically? And that concludes this episode of tonight's program. Please stay tuned for a special statement by the star of our program, Mr. Nate Kelly. Thank you, Fred. You know, playing Marcus Little has been a dream come true. As someone who grew up listening to these programs as a child, and who loved hearing the voices of Cherry Roberts, Pat Nickel, Dean Martin, Sidney Strangeheist, and finally Martin Hyde, portray the very singular character of Marcus Little, I reflected on my time reading the novels of his adventures, wondering if I would ever get the chance to put my spin on this unforgettable character. And for the past six years, that dream has finally come true. 
After nearly 45 years on air, ABS has decided to finally let Marcus hang up his coat and move on to bigger and stranger things, and this will be the last installment of his seemingly endless adventures. But fans of Mr. Little's big adventures shouldn't worry too much. In fact, you'll be able to check in with him from time to time right here on ABS, as he and Itty will be hosting Macabre Morsels, an anthology program where we present our favorite suspense stories every Saturday night. Sometimes strange, wicked, or just downright eerie. Leave it to Macabre Morsels to give you an auditory feast you'll never forget. Now hosted by the dead detective Marcus Little and his ghostly friend Itty. Tune in, won't you? As for me, Nate Kelly can still be heard daily on the radio soap Pieces of My Life, where I play the scrappy mailman, Jim Newton. But more importantly, please keep listening to ABS, where our stories pack a wild punch. The Adventures of Marcus Little features Nate Kelly as Marcus Little and Jessica Norman as Cindy Baumgarten. Featured in the cast were Jill Honestein as Candy Matson, Heather Sadowski as Johnny Thunder, Sean Royal as Mort Linger, Jeff Parks as Itty, Dash Thompson as Barney, Travis Doan as Fred and Ape, Tim Maloney as Parson Sanders, Don and Horace Withers, Emma Pace Jonas as Betty, David the Weatherman Wills as Merlin, and David Little Fyodor Lichtenberg as Greg. Also featured were Jason Ramey, Kelly Taylor, Jessica Ramey, Jesse Sutherland, Bella Ramey, Austin Rich, Stella Starr Schaefer, and William R. Harris. Our music was by Brendan Murray and Matt Orifice, and our script was by A.C. Richards. Your announcer was Fred Weiser. You are listening to ABS, the American Broadcasting System. ABS, it's what's on. This is ABS, the American Broadcasting System. It's 11.59 Standard Time. We know that you have many entertainment options, and when you decide to make ABS that resource in your life, we notice. ABS staff are working round the clock to remain relevant in your lives, and we are constantly working to improve the nature of our programming so it is better in tune with you and your needs as a radio listener. We here at ABS would love to know what you think. Please give us a call at 606-0842. That's 606-0842. And please let us know what you want to hear from the station you grew up with. And now, the American Broadcasting System will sign off for the remainder of the broadcast week. Thank you for listening to ABS. It's What's On. (laughs) Yay. Randy seemed almost giddy to be taking down the addresses that I was giving him. And soon enough, he looked up and thanked me. I know it wasn't easy, Dex, but in the end, you came through. And I won't forget it. Good night. And with that, Mr. Stone left, and I didn't see him again. However, my phone rang shortly thereafter. Yes, I said. I got your buzz. Want me to keep an eye on him? I was relieved. Thanks, Merlin. 
Just make sure he doesn't find Betty. A wild goose chase, then. Merlin offered. That works for me. If he can't find the real haps, well, he probably won't be able to find anything else. Consider it done, Merlin said, and then hung up. I leaned back in my chair and smoked my cigarette reflectively. Sure, it was probably a little mean to mislead Randy and change a few of the details, just so he doesn't keep barking up the wrong tree. I mean, a person like him could get into trouble if he asks the wrong questions to the wrong people in the wrong place. I should know. It happens to me almost all the time. The moon hung pretty low while I contemplated my future and the futures of Mr. Stone and, well, everyone else that I knew or ran into. Seems like I always get to this point where I'm retelling a story and trying to sum it up, and then I have a reflective moment on my own to take it all in and try to make sense of it. Is there anything to make sense of? Or are we just going through the motions? A job we have to do every day. We wake up, give us some purpose so that we complete those tasks and hopefully move on to the next thing. But sometimes there isn't a next thing. Sometimes there's just getting cat food and trying to figure out where you're going to eat dinner, how you're going to spend the holidays, or who you're going to see during your time off. All these mundane and boring questions pop up where we wish we had some grand mystery to solve or some big case to work on. Sometimes we just give ourselves something to do, to fill the time. Maybe that'll be enough. Maybe if we just finish one more thing and send it out into the world that'll get us to where we need to be this time. The Adventures of Marcus Little Part 6 of 6 Thanks for tuning in for the complete story. And that's going to do it for us this week here on the program. Somewhere in between, a radio zine. The Adventures of Marcus Little, Part 6, Issue 53, was written and assembled by Austin Rich. On this day in 1989, the very first episode of The Simpsons aired on Fox Television. A holiday story entitled Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire, which introduced the family to the world and introduced their dog, Santa's Little Helper. As someone who was watching that night, 32 years ago, with my family, I can honestly say that none of us believed that the show would last 32 years, <laughs> defying all reason and logic when it comes to a program of this nature. However, this date is full of historic weirdness, certainly. 
exactly 20 years before that debut, the United States Air Force officially closed its study on UFOs, ending Project Blue Book in 1969, where they concluded that all reported UFOs were not a threat at all, and, in fact, were not real. Certainly, Kang and Kodos have been laughing at both the U.S. government and New Simpsons episodes for almost 50 years now. But it's nice to know that they are no longer in danger of being discovered by the Air Force, at least anytime soon. This episode was produced by Austin Rich in the Lava Lamp Lounge and was assembled using only the finest in 20th century technology. In the long-standing tradition of most zines, there is an open submission policy here. If you have a story, music, or poetry that you'd like to send in or read, or you just want to be a part of the show, why not drop a line to austinrich at gmail.com. That's going to do it for us this week. You guys are wonderful. You guys are beautiful. And without you, there would be no program. Be seeing you. Somewhere in between? A radio zine?